0: Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Flora MacDonald Johnston, Acting Deputy Fashion Editor, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Catchals for different generations, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, were originally coined by advertisers to direct their product sales. But our definition of the generation just entering the adult world has yet to be fit into a box. Who are the next generation and what do they care about? Here with me to discuss are John Byrne Murdoch, data visualisation journalist, Madison Derbyshire, multimedia journalist, and Rebecca Watson, assistant arts editor. John, I'll start with you, just so that we're all on the same page. How old are the next gen or gen Z? What years do you actually have to be born in?
1: So I guess we should start by saying, kind of like you were saying, we don't want to be too rigid with this stuff and too binary, but the rough definition we were using is under 25. So I guess that means born 1994 and onwards.
0: And you've obviously been researching some data recently on next gen. Before you tell us what you found, where is this from?
1: Sure. So most of this data is from the US. There's been a lot of social research done on this generation over there, and a bit of it's from the UK as well. So like Pew Research... Morning Consult were two of the big data sources in the US and then a company called OCC Strategies here in the UK.
0: What were the key points that you found?
1: So first of all, just on the demographics, this is really true of the US but also true of the UK. This is a more diverse, racially, ethnically diverse generation than any that have come before it. They're more well-educated. Obviously, more and more people going to university, much more likely to grow up in households with educated parents as well. So just the idea that they've grown up in a very different setting also i think as the stereotype goes the data supports this that they spend a lot of time on social media but in this context that's not necessarily us dissing youngsters it's about how that exposes them to a lot of social activism movements if you think about me too or black lives matter all these conversations are really playing out right in front of their eyes on social media so as a result you've got a generation which both through its own lived experience and through what it's been exposed to on social media is really immersed in progressive movements, whether it's around politics, socialism, diversity, non-binary gender issues, all that kind of stuff.
0: So I guess the kind of millennial generation before this are classically seen as a bit more relaxed, maybe apathetic. Why do you think next gen are more involved? And when we're talking about social media, how is this helping them to become more involved, let's say, in political activism like Black Lives and Me Too?
1: Sure. So I think one caveat at the outset is that it's not necessarily the case that people who are very activist on social media are necessarily going to turn out at the ballot box. So I know someone like Zeynep Tufekci has done work showing that social media can make it really easy for these grassroots movements to start up, but then whether they actually make an impact in elections is another issue. But again, I'd say it does look like the fact that you've had these huge global issues happening in front of their eyes with their peers directly involved, like look at someone like Greta Thunberg as well, that maybe we will see this generation actually follow through on that and make a real difference in terms of things like voting.
0: I think one of the most glaring differences in the lives of Next Gen, obviously, is social media, but how has that changed our psyche? Rebecca, I'll direct that to you. Sure. So
2: I guess for our psyche, it's because technology, particularly modern technology, so social media, internet, has sort of infiltrated our inner lives. So it's looking at how we now react because of technology. So our instincts are changing, our attention span is changing. We sort of rely on social media. It's how we communicate, it's how we sort of actually grow relationships. So I guess it's the fact that our brains are making space for new technology, so we're adapting to fit it. We remember to check our phone. We wonder if someone's seen our messages. Digital language is changing, so our metaphors and our similes are infiltrated by technology. So it's sort of learning to fit
0: technology into our head. I think it's quite interesting when you're speaking to someone through your phone, it's all quick conversations now. Yeah. How is that affected through digital psyches? You know, in more condensed, there's memes, there's shortened abbreviations. This is a big language difference, I think.
2: It's massive and it's learning to experience both at the same time and it's hard to know which one's more real. There's a weird immediacy to our communication And, you know, what is the difference between me talking to someone on Gchat and, like, hearing them immediately replying to me and knowing that they're on the other side waiting to hear from me? And just because that's online and they're not in front of me doesn't mean that, therefore, that's not as intimate.
0: Let's listen to a clip of Kayla, the protagonist of Eighth Grade, Beau Burnham's stellar portrayal of next-gen identity in a digital world.
3: Hey, guys. uh, It's Kayla, back with another video. Okay, um, so, first things first is... um, I haven't been getting, like, a lot of views or whatever on my videos, so if you guys could share, like, with your friends and stuff, I would really, really appreciate it. Uh, Okay, so the topic of today's video is being yourself. And it's like, you know, well, aren't I always being myself? And, like, yeah, for sure.
0: John Stater was suggesting that there is this big desire amongst the younger generation to really stand out, and this is leading them to create more original art, video, photography, writing. Is the digital psyche central to these creations, Rebecca?
2: Yeah, I think it is central, mainly because I think the digital psyche is teaching us to create a sort of performative sense of ourselves. We have curated social media profile. We're creating content that's meant to come from us. So I think that NextGen particularly are learning to create and perform from like a very young age So I feel like that's particularly going to stimulate artists in a way your social media profiles are sort of your first creations. But I think also just having access to art and access to other people instantly is going to help you to grow and develop. I think that's sort of less of what we talk about when we talk about digital psyche is actually just sheerly being able to have an even platform for everyone.
0: When you're creating these digital versions of yourself, would you say that's a kind of real portrayal of these people, are the younger generation kind of more real or less real because of this digital content?
2: It's a really hard question. I feel like we're actually unfair in saying that it's artificial or false. I'm not sure how that's any less real than creating art, which is obviously separate from yourself and is still performative. I think if anything, technology helps us to refine our sense of ourselves and helps us to try and identify ourselves and find our place, even though it is, by nature, separate and false, I would still say actually it's very real.
0: And Madison, you wrote about finding love in the (laughs) age of dating apps. Do you see dating apps as a form of social media?
3: I do, because they're intensely curated. You're putting out very selective information about yourself into the world. And they're not necessarily representative of reality in that way. And interestingly, they're also designed to provide you with the same kind of dopamine hit that likes on Facebook and Instagram do. One interesting survey found that 50% of the people under 25 using Tinder were actually not using it to meet up, but were instead using it just to have a confidence boost and to have that kind of hit of social interaction and not actually to start relationships. Do they impact the ability to form a real romantic relationship or attachment? I think that they do. We're seeing more and more marriages are coming out of social media or dating app couplings. And they also allow you to meet people that you never would have otherwise interacted with in your daily life. But they can also be really overwhelming. And we see that the more choices you have, the harder it is to make a choice. It can be much more easy to have a transient relationship. We're seeing that the next generation is having shorter, more frequent relationships. And it's also led to a lot of breakup practices that didn't exist before. We're talking about ghosting or breadcrumbing and breadcrumbing spans the spectrum of dating apps and
2: what is breadcrumbing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> for
3: the for, for the folks yeah. <laughs> for the folks at home, breadcrumbing is when you stop responding in a acceptable timeline but you continue to occasionally like an Instagram photo uh, or occasionally view a story just to stay on the mind.
0: Whereas it's, ghosting is a
3: Ghosting exactly. is you just disappear, which is not very nice. But breadcrumbing is keeping somebody on the hook, but without giving them what
0: you would expect from a healthy relationship. The full attention. Mm-hmm. I think it's very easy, obviously, yeah. on Tinder and other apps to just swipe because mm-hmm. you don't like the look of a person. Are we now less aware of someone who could be a good connection for us? Is this to do with the amount of people that are coming up on the apps?
3: In response to the column, I did receive a number of emails from younger people who said that they had felt really left out of the dating app culture and they were attributing it to being less obviously acceptable partners, whether they felt it was because of their looks or because they lacked a certain charisma. And so I do think that there is a risk of these apps perpetuating a kind of social isolation and creating a generation who maybe feel like they're being left out of the format of meeting people, whereas If you were to meet somebody through a club or an organized interaction, you would have a different foundation for getting to know them.
0: I mean, we're all millennials in this room. I'll open this question up. What do you think is different about the next gen romantic habits? I know specifically that my younger cousin does her dating through Snapchat, not on apps. And in fact, one of her relationships broke down with her boyfriend because they would only speak via Snapchat. And he got quite upset by this. I'd be open to hearing of you guys' experiences of younger people. What do you think is the difference there? Well,
3: this is a generation that's never known the world without mobile phones, and they are much more able to communicate via text. I saw an interesting survey that said 21% of Gen Z would consider a text message conversation to be a date. So they do view this digital interaction as a much more palpable and real human connection, which is... Really interesting.
1: So like your young cousin, as far as she's concerned, she's been on loads of dates with this guy and he's yeah. like, what? She,
0: yeah. she generally believes yeah. that they had a six-month relationship.
2: That's just so remarkable. That is a difference, isn't it? That when you might be dating someone as a millennial, you might be careful of how much you text initially and try and keep it cool. But now playing it cool, presumably, is just like sending the right type of text.
0: Sending the right type of picture, the yeah. right type of filter. <laughs> How useful do you guys think it is to categorize different generations? Who do these labels serve? You know, people as young as seven are now called Alpha Gen. Why is this useful? And who do we think actually wants
1: to use these terms to their benefit?
3: Economists.
1: Yeah, it's clearly like mainly (laughs) a marketing thing. As soon as you can get people to identify as part of a group, they'll be more likely to think, oh, all the other like Alpha Gen are getting this thing. So I'm Alpha Gen, I should get that.
0: Do you like the fact that we're millennials? I find like it's just quite helpful,
2: not for me, but for those that want to criticise you. So obviously it's just a shorthand. Millennial is often used as a dismissive way of talking about avocado toast or whatever. And also actually in terms of criticism, boomers have now become an okay boomer slander. In fact, I'm a year off being a next gen because I was born in 95. So I should be having existential feelings about being on the edge of something, but I just feel like a millennial.
1: For me, it's one of those things where like, obviously there's no boundaries, there's no actual black and white boundaries in the data between a millennial and a Gen Z, next Gen, whatever. But at the same time, if we as society or economists or whatever want to talk about emerging trends, it's just a convenient device just to talk about millennials and then everyone pictures someone in their late 20s or whatever. And of course, the risk is that it also makes it easier to form negative stereotypes but I think if we never talked about generations, then it would just be quite hard to have any of these conversations full stop.
3: I think one thing I want to touch on is that when, when we make these groupings and we associate different generations with different practices, it can also lead to a kind of dangerous nostalgia for the way that things used to be. One thing that I heard from younger readers who wrote in in response to the column about their anxieties about relationships and why they're dating less, why they're getting married later, why they're having less sex, was they were really craving a simplicity of a day gone by. And I don't know that the reality 50 years ago was something that they would necessarily want to take on in whole. I don't think anybody wants a world that's that disconnected, where you can't message people a world away. But they do crave a simplicity that we associate with the boomer or the greatest generation when it comes to matters of the heart.
0: Thank you, John, Rebecca and Madison, and thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our episodes on Ukraine's role in the US impeachment inquiry, the PSA, Fiat, Chrysler merger and Life Without Plastic, you can subscribe to News in Focus on all the usual podcast platforms.